Alright, Hebrews. We have made it up to Hebrews chapter 11. But y'all know me well enough to know we're going to get a running start. So go back to Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to get one verse. And then move quick. No. Alright. Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to actually get three verses. I want to jump in the middle of the sentence. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor to love, labor of love, excuse me, which ye have showed towards his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Remember, he's writing to believing Jews who are laboring, they're working, they're ministering to the saints. All right? That's good. God's not going to forget that. Eleven, and we desire that every one of you show the same diligence, right? That same level of effort, energy, and enthusiasm. Same level of diligence to the full assurance of hope. To understanding the full scope of the doctrine, of the truth, of the gospel. Give that same labor to understanding what is the truth. How long do you have to do that? Unto the end. This is not a remember it for the test and then forget it and move on. That's high school, middle school, whatever. This is continuing and maintaining that knowledge and diligence. Okay, Verse 12. That ye be not slothful... Remember in the previous chapter 5, he'd given them some uh, admonition about them being dull of hearing. Same word, slothful, lazy hearers. Don't be slothful, but what should you do? But followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. All right? That followers means to be an imitator. It means to follow the pattern. So what's the pattern? The pattern is that you live a life of faith with patience, and then eventually... The promises are fulfilled. Okay? That's the pattern. Knowing and giving diligence to the full scope of the assurance, the confidence that we have, paying attention to that so that you can live that life of faith, live it out while patiently waiting for the promise. All right? That's the pattern. You see that again over in Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse 32, he gives them a call to the remembrance when they first believed. But call to remember the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great flight of of afflictions. You had hard times when you first started believing. Partly ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. So you were tormented, you were mocked, you were made fun of when you first started out. And partly ye became companions of them that were so used. You associated with them who were being mocked and tormented and persecuted for being followers of Christ. Remember, that's how it was at the beginning. And you were, able, you were willing to do that. Right? For ye had compassion upon me and my bonds, the Hebrew writer, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. That promise, waiting for that promise, it's in heaven, it's that, it's not here, it's not the stuff here. And so you gave of your stuff to support the writer here while he was in bonds for being a follower, knowing that truth. Verse 35, Cast not away, therefore your confidence. And again, this whole theme of the book is stand fast, hold true, continue to follow, don't walk away from following Christ. Cast not away your confidence, that hope, that truth, which hath great recompense of reward. There is a a promise at the end. Okay, Don't cast away the truth. Verse 36. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. 
For yet a little while, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. He's talking about Christ coming back. A little while, he's going to come. He's not delaying. He's not dragging his feet. He hasn't missed his flight. He's going to come exactly when he intends to, and it's just described as a little while. He will not tarry. He's not going to be delayed by anything. Now the just shall live by faith. All right, we've got that same pattern again. A living a life of faith, needing that patience after you've done the will of God that you may receive the promises. Okay? So that's the pattern that we've got, our life. We're living a life of faith. Our faith is lived out in what we're doing, how we're acting, how we're responding, and we're patient because the promises are not immediately coming. Christ could. He could come right now. I mean, our patience may have to last until lunch service and then Christ can come. That's fine, but that's not guaranteed. And so the whole time that you're alive, until Christ comes back or you die, we're living a life, living out our faith, and with patience. Assurance, because we've got the assurance of the hope, we can do that because it's true. Because he who said all these things is faithful. He didn't lie, and so you've got a strong consolation, that strong hope, remember, that goes in within the veil where our forerunner has got that's like tethering you there, that's stable and secure, that's the hope and truth that he has given you. He's given you faith. All right? So, most of this book has been describing, you know, remember, originally written to the, the Jews who were following Christ um, and giving them that encouragement of continue on because everything about Christ is better than the ceremonial law, right? He's a better priest than those priests. He doesn't die, they die. He had better sacrifices, theirs were fallible. The priests who are offering it had sins. He's perfect, his blood was perfect. Everything is better, 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 right? So here, in this next chapter in 11, he's going to give it an idea of how this is also a continuation of what went on before. You're not completely abandoning what the fathers did beforehand, you're continuing to follow that same pattern, that living a life of faith, patiently enduring, and eventually receiving the promises, okay? So it's refuting the idea that you're walking away from everything that you've known, but rather it's the continuation and it's the pinnacle of what had been pointed to, all right? So, life of faith, living out the faith, patiently enduring while doing the will of God, that's what it means while well, living the life of faith is doing the will of God, right? Patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Right? So that's your lead into chapter 11, which opens with an implied question. The implied question, at least as I read it, is what is faith? And the answer is given in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And that hope for is not the same as like a wish. You know, I, I wish that this would happen. I wish I'd win the lottery. I wish whatever. Wishes, there's no, there's no guts to those. There's no meat to that, right? This hope is something I fully expect, right? If I were to take this water bottle and drop it, what do I fully expect is going to happen? I fully expect it's going to hit the ground, right? That faith that we're given... By God, it's a gift. Right? We see that over in Ephesians 2.8. For you are saved by grace, that through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That that faith is given to you by God, and that faith enables you to have a substance, a support for the things that you're hoping for, that you fully expect. Why are you fully expecting? You're expecting the promises that God has said He will do, 
You expecting them to? Keep that promise. How are you able to do that? By faith. It's the support. It's the substance of the things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. That evidence means proof. You have an ability to have evidence or proof of things that you can't see yet. Right? And it's a miracle that you can do that. Right? It is a gift. It's not something you conjure up and say, well, if I just have... No. The faith is given to you. Right? Given to you by God. Alright? And, and we've got some, some legal language in here, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the idea of, of proof. And then the next verse, it talks about a good report. It means testimony. He's saying that this faith does something. Alright? It lets those outside of your life see that you're living for God. That your faith and how you live it out is a witness. It is a testimony that you are righteous. How are you righteous? Only by the grace of God. Okay? For by it, that it is faith. For by faith, the elders obtained a good report. So again, he's talking to Jews. He's going to talk in summary form about all these characters or, or figures, whatever term you want to use, the individuals from the Old Testament and show how this pattern lived out, played out in their life. Okay? For by it, the elders obtained a good report, a good witness. Right? You and I want to have a good witness. Right? Well, it's saying that the life lived in faith shows what God has done for you and whose you are, who you belong to. Okay? Verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds, entire universe, were framed, and that word framed means perfectly put together, perfectly designed, perfectly completed. The worlds were framed by the Word of God. Okay? Who's the Word of God? It's another name for Jesus, right? Second person in the Trinity. You see that over in John in the first chapter that the Word was there at creation. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And everything that was made was made by Him. And later we see here in Hebrews it was made for Him. Okay? Through faith, we understand that the worlds are framed by the Word of God. So that things which are seen, you can see this, were made by things, were not made by things which do appear. So it's saying it was made by things that you can't see. You cannot see Him right now. It was made. What you can see was made by that which does not appear right now. Okay? How can you do that? How can you believe that? Faith. Okay? Why do so many scientists, despite this overabundance of evidence that points to there has to be a natural designer, why do they reject the idea of being a creator? They don't have faith. They have not been given faith. You don't, don't worry about trying to convince them of the merits of it. You won't be able to. Right? Even if it, all the evidence that you see, the more you study it, the more complex, it just it can't be random and chance, but they won't be able to see and understand that because they haven't been given faith. Right? They don't have the eyes to see, so don't make it your mission in life to make them see because that will be a, a wasted time. Right? It's kind of like arguing with people on Facebook. It's, there's, there's really no merit there. Right? All right. For through faith we understand that the worlds are framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of that which do appear. Things which do appear. Okay. Now we're going to go through a series of examples. Looking at these Old Testament individuals and show how they lived a life of faith. Right? 
And again, the idea here is that you're pulling, this is the pattern. It was the pattern he's telling you. Be an imitator of those who faith and patience inherit the promises. And it goes all the way back. And so he's going to pull out ten different individuals and then speak generally about a whole bunch of folks just for the sake of time. He's got to kind of sum it up. Okay? Because at the end of the letter, he said, I wrote this in few words. So he thought he was being brief. Okay? All right. So starting off, first individual is Abel. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. All right, so was it the difference in the gifts that were offered? One offered fruits of the ground and the other offers a lamb. That wasn't the difference in why one was accepted and wasn't. Abel's was accepted, Cain was not. The difference is that Abel had faith. And by it, God accepted that gift, testifying or putting a stamp upon the fact that this one has faith because this one is righteous because this one is mine. Okay? God testified that this one was mine and that he was offering it by faith. And we know that the sacrifices of the wicked, they're just abomination to God. And we know that elsewhere it describes Cain as being of that wicked one. And so Abel offered that gift. By faith he was able to offer it, by the faith that God gave him. God put his mark of approval on that. However, he did that. It doesn't specify, but he accepted that sacrifice. And from that, he had the witness from God that he was righteous. Now, note, the gift didn't make him righteous. Right? The faith didn't make him righteous. He was able to do the gift by faith that was given God, given to him from God, and it was evidence that he was righteous. How was he made righteous? By God's grace alone. Okay? There's no credit given to him, but it's showing an example of how this lived out. What does it look like of living a life of faith? Well, he did and God blessed it. All right? And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Okay? So even though he's long gone, he now is a pattern. All right? One you can imitate of living out your faith. Okay? That's what it means by being dead, he yet speaketh. All right, individual number two. By faith, Enoch. All right, we don't know much about Enoch. All right, it's like a sentence or two in Genesis, and then one here, and then you find out later in Jude that there was a prophecy um, that he spoke. But that's that's about it. But what we do know is that he was translated by God. That he pleased God. He walked with God, and God took him. He never saw death. He was taken and transported directly to God to heaven. So, verse 5 says, By faith, Enoch was translated, that he should not see death. All right? So, translated means transferred, transported. He should not see death. And was not found. They never found the body. Right? Kind of like uh, Elijah when he went up in the whirlwind. Right? They didn't find his body. They spent 50 dudes out walking, looking for three days, and they did not find him. He was taken. All right? God translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, this witness, this report of him that he pleased God. Okay? Well, how does one please God? Well, it says, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's your general rule. Can you please God? Do you have no faith? No. Impossible. So that tells me the opposite of the only way to please God is with faith. Right? For he that cometh to God, so you and I, as we're coming to God, we must believe that he is, that God is, that God exists, that he is who he says he is, 
and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. All right? How can you believe those two things? One, that you're coming to God and that you believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently believe him. The only way you can believe that is by faith. He has to give that to you. Okay? Now some folks can get caught up in this idea of being a rewarder um, and, and translate it, well, if I, if I faithfully serve him, I'm going to have natural blessings here. Maybe. He's capable. doesn't have to. This rewarder, this is the only time this word shows up in the New Testament. Um, and I think the best interpretation for you and I for understanding what is it that's going to be the reward is go to Genesis 15 and verse 1. We're looking at patterns, right? This is the promise made all the way back to Abraham. Genesis 15 and 1. Flip my pages. Okay, thank you. Alright, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. What is the reward? God Himself. God Himself. And without faith, are you going to desire that reward? No, the carnal man is enmity with God. You hate God. You don't want more of God. The reward, the best reward, is God Himself. And Jesus would you know, illustrate that again over in John 17. You've got His, his high priestly prayer in John 17 and verses 1 through 3. He spake these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Give eternal life to everybody on the planet? No, it doesn't say that. As many as thou hast given him. This is another word for the elect, his chosen. How many? However many he was. I don't know the number. But I know that it's a specific group, and that group doesn't change. But the definition I want to hear is verse 3. He should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Verse 3. And this is eternal life. What's eternal life? that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. What's so great about heaven? It's not mansions. It's not streets of gold. It's not any decoration that you can think of. It's not freedom from sin or sorrow. It's God Himself. He's the great thing. To eternal life is to know Him. Right now we see through a veil very darkly, right? The glass darkly. Then you can see clearly and be in His presence and know Him. He is your exceeding great reward. Okay? So what is that precious promise that we're waiting for? We're living by faith. We're patiently waiting and enduring and doing His will. So we can be with Him and know Him. That's the reward. Alright? So without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Alright? So that's, that's your pattern. Enoch, please God. He had lived a life of faith. God took him and by that taking him he, he testified that this was one of mine this was righteous he had faith alright by faith Noah being warned of God so you got your third individual warned of God in advance of things not seen as yet moved with fear alright let's let's just pause this y'all know the story of, of Lot right Lot was told to get out of town the angel said and he what did he do he went to he, he had daughters Right? There were some that still lived at home. There were two. He had others that were already married. What did he do? He went to his sons-in-law and said, this is about to go terrible. We need to get out of here. Right? Did his sons-in-law move with fear? No. 
<coughs> they looked at him like he was crazy. They thought he was making fun. <coughs> they were warned in advance. What was the difference in the reaction? Hey. <coughs> the sons-in-law didn't have faith, and so they had this warning, and they didn't take any action. They were destroyed along with the daughters. Excuse me. All right? But Noah was warned in advance. He moved with fear. What gave him that fear? Faith that believed that God is who He says He is and that He's going to do what He said He's going to do. And so he moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world. That's kind of an ouch, right? Think about that. He obeyed, and as a consequence of his obedience... The rest of the world was sentenced. There was no second chances. There was no, would you like to get on the boat? Just accept your ticket here. God spared His. The ones that He designated as righteous. And everyone else was destroyed. <clears throat> That's a mini version of what will happen on the last day. Mini because that only affected those who are currently alive. On the last day, it's going to deal with everyone who's ever lived. Okay, It's a type pointing to that. Was God just to do that? Absolutely. And if you accuse Him of being unjust, we've got a heart issue. We're trying to put our version of fairness onto a righteous God. Right? He's pure. He's holy. He's sovereign. Okay, So He moved... Um, prepared an ark, you know, spent 100 plus years building an ark, brought his family in there, his sons and their three wives, <coughs> excuse me, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Well, what's that mean? Heir of the righteousness. Well, to be an heir, you have to survive. Right? If I leave something to, your, to you in my will and you die before I do, you're not my heir, right? It goes to somebody else. Here, by being the heir, as these survivors, they were the only ones left. And they had the stamp of approval of God that these are righteous. They became the heirs of the righteousness of those who are righteous and living by faith. Okay? So that was your third example. It goes on to four. And, you know, this is a big one. Abraham. So big that he's going to use five specific examples within Abraham's life. All right? Living by faith, patiently enduring, Waiting for the promises. Okay, that's the pattern. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out of a place where he, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. All right, he lived over in Ur of the Chaldees. That's over near Babylon. This is hundreds of miles away, and God told him, up, out, go. Leave all your kin, leave all your land, um, and go. All right, that's, that's kind of distressing. Right? But what did he do? He obeyed. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what it was like. He didn't know anything other than what God had told him. He went. He obeyed. What was the manifestation that he had faith? God told him to do, and he did. Right? And he went out, not knowing whither he went. Right? He didn't know where he was going. He knew that God promised him he was going to give him a land, and he went. All right? Remember that faith that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him? Right? Here, He's made a promise to him. He was going to give him a land. He didn't know what it was like, but he obeyed. He believed God. How was he able to do that? 
Has he been given faith? So this is an example of what that looked like. Living out by faith is moving in obedience to God's Word, of changing your life, even when it's scary, even when everything else says, no, it's much more comfortable to stay here. I mean, I've got my tent set up, I've got my land, I know my neighbors, right? But no, he obeyed, right? So that was example one. He, he left Ur the Chaldees and he went. Now he gets there, you think he'd be set up, right? I'm here to be a land baron, give me my land, right? No, that's not how it went at all, right? He dwelt in tents. Now, are tents permanent structures, boys? No, they're designed to be moved around. You know why he had to move around? Because he didn't own any of the land. God didn't give it to him. It says, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise. So to sojourn means you're a visitor. All right, y'all know the concept of a green card, right? You have permission to be here, but you're not a citizen. And that can be taken away, and you have to go somewhere else, right? But the idea is that you're here by permission. You're like a resident alien, a non-citizen. You're a foreigner living in a strange land. That's how he lived his whole life, even though it was the land that God promised. Okay? That's living by faith. Living by faith. He sojourned in the land of promise, that land that had been promised to him, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, tents, these non-permanent structures. He didn't go in and start building cities and you know Jerusalem and making all these big, big things where he was going to sit as a land baron or as a king. He lived in tents. With Isaac and Jacob... The heirs with him of the same promise. So he had this promise given. This land is going to be for you and for your children. And he, that promise was going to be passed on to Isaac. God chose that specific individual, not Ishmael, who he tried to do it his own way, but Isaac. And then Isaac had two kids, right? Jacob and Esau. And of those, Jacob is who God chose for that promise to follow. Okay? They all had that promise that this land would be yours. And they all lived there as strangers. They lived there by faith, sojourning. Why were they doing that? Because they looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. All right? They were looking for something better, something yet to come. How are we in that same pattern as them? We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Now, if you look at the, those two words, there's a little bit different color within it. The builder is like an artisan, a craftsman, a designer, right? And then the maker, that's, it, literally it's a compound word of a, a public, public servant, a civil servant. It's made, made, it's designed, it's maintained all by God. That's the city we're looking for. Nothing here. So he was promised a promised land. Yeah, they would eventually dwell in Canaan, but that was just the type. Like this whole book has been pointing out, what's the type, what's the real? The real is his land, the heavenly land, the Father, Father's land. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Are we looking for the same thing today? Absolutely! Same pattern. Another example. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Now, Sarah gave birth when she was 90, right? So at 89-ish, you know, she's well past menopause. She had stopped having the time of life, as it described. And she was able to conceive and have child, a child and carry that child. I mean, imagine that. It's difficult carrying a child when you're young. Imagine trying to carry a baby. <laughs> and then to safely deliver it and not die in the process. You know, all these miracles. Through faith she received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful 
who had promised, all right? Her faith here is revealed and that she trusted God, that she believed that He had given this promise and He's faithful to follow through. That's the manifestation of the faith. Her faith was fixated on how faithful He is, how trustworthy He is, how He doesn't change. Alright? Would it have been hard for her to hear that initially? And yes, it was. Right? She laughed. Like, no, you're not going to do that. But still, by the faith that He gave her, she was able to believe that He would. And He did follow through. She judged Him faithful. And what was the result? There sprang there, and therefore sprang there even of one. All right, this is referring to the one of Abraham. That came from him, and him as good as dead. All right, so not only was she old, he was old. His body was as good as dead too. So there was a double miracle going on there. All right, and therefore sprang, and him as good as dead. So many as the stars in the sky in multitude, and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. What was the end result from that? That you know that living life out that faith there is that God took that and grew this into a massive nation. All right? So many, you can't count it. You can't keep up with it. Okay? Verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Okay? And that's the kicker, is that there are a lot of folks who will say, well, God's promised me this, and I'm going to claim it. Right? And they particularly have TV shows with little numbers about where you can send your money. These all had received wonderful, precious promises, and they died before they received what would be the natural fulfillment of that, the natural Canaan. They didn't get possession of the land until hundreds of years later, post-Egypt, coming in with Joshua, you know, generation after that, because they all died in the wilderness. I mean, all these years later, before this is actually going to be fulfilled, they died without those promises. But the real promises, they would receive. Right? That country, which builder and maker is God, that city, they would receive those. But in whose timing? God's. Living by faith, patiently enduring while doing His will to receive the promises. So you cannot make demands upon God. Lord, I claim that you will do this now. I want healing. I want money. I want that Corvette. It's really nice. It's on sale. No. <coughs> right? That's not how you, you can't make demands of God. You can petition, you can ask, but at the end of each one it needs to be, but Lord, thy will be done. And if I'm asking the wrong thing, Lord, don't give it to me, because sometimes it's really bad if you give me what I ask for. And you can chase me and teach me that way. But Lord, thy will be done. Alright, so these all died in faith, not having received the promises. Who's the these all referring to? I think this is referring to Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and uh, Isaac. They all lived with the promise, the specific promise, this land will be yours, and they they died before it was fulfilled. Now, was it actually fulfilled? Yeah, it was. It was given to their natural seed. But they died. But what, what were they during their lifetime? They had seen them afar off. What? How can you see something that you can't see at a distance? Go back to verse 1. Evidence of things not seen. What's that? the faith. They had faith to see these promises. Not with their natural eyes, but far off. How can you see heaven today? How can you see Christ today? Only by faith. See it from far off. You had these promises. You'd seen them afar off. You were persuaded of them. That means convinced. Right? Fully persuaded. Convinced. 
and embraced them. That word's great. That just means like hugged them. Right? You wrapped your arms around it. You held these promises close. You couldn't see them. How can you do that? Only by faith. How do you get that? Only because God gave it to you. Right? See these promises. You're persuaded of them. You're convinced that they're true. You've embraced them. And what are you doing in the meantime? You're confessing that you are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. My promises are yet to come. I'm just a resident alien here. I'm just passing through. I don't have deep roots. Everything I've got here is just intense. It can be picked up and it can be blown away with a whirlwind at the moment. But my promises are secure. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's what they were looking forward to. They're confessing that they are just strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We're just passing through. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Right? They're not content with the country. And we live in a great country. We live have a lot of blessings, a lot of privileges. This ain't it. This ain't the country. This is a country. This is of the earth. I'm looking for the country. You're looking for the country. They seek a country. And truly, this is a warning, and if they had been mindful of that country from whence they'd come out, if Abraham had been you know, really focusing and mourning over that Ur of the Chaldees and all that land he had back there, and you know, I don't have any land here. I've got a, a burial plot. That's it. Right? I could have gone on home and had all the things that I needed. I mean, he was a rich fella. And he had a lot of stuff before he came. And the Lord led him even more. But if he had been mindful of that country where he'd come out of, he might have had opportunity to return to it. Right? But was he focused on where he'd been? No. He was focused on where he was going. Where he was called to. So are you to be focusing on where you've been in your old life when you were dead in trespasses and sins and the things that you did and all the things that you wanted and the things that you chased after? No, you're not. Don't be mindful of that. Live it forward to what's to come. All right? A better country. That's, that's another theme for this whole book, the word better. Better priest, better sacrifice, better tabernacle, better, better country. They seek a better country, but now they desire, they crave, they reach out for a better country that is a heavenly country. Heavenly country above the sky. A country above the sky. Wherefore, because they're seeking that heavenly country, because they have that faith, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. You ever stop and think about that? Right. Are you ever ashamed to be associated with somebody? Like, I, I know what you're doing, and I really don't want the name associated, you know. You ever done something where somebody's been ashamed to associate with you? Our high priest is so perfect and accomplished his mission of putting away our sins and making us pure and will draw him unto us that even the perfect God of the universe is not ashamed to be owned as your God. It is a miracle. He's not ashamed to be called, to be called their God. What's the evidence that he's not ashamed? He's prepared a place for you. So Jesus said, right? John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again. I'm going to have you come be with me. He hath prepared a, prepared for them a city. Which city? That same one Abraham was looking for. Whose builder and maker is God. Not foundations here, but a heavenly city. He hath prepared a city for them. Alright? What's your next example? I think this was the fourth one. No, fifth one. 
Fifth one for Abraham. Fifth example of faith in his life or in the life of his family. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, right, he had a test. The Lord said, go offer your son Isaac as a sacrifice. All right? He obeyed. Right? He got up. He went to where he was told. He carried everything he needed, the wood, the fire, the knife, and the son. And the son, who was not dumb, asked him, Daddy, no, where's the sacrifice? And he answered, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb. All right, so he did. By faith when he was tried, he offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises, right? Abraham had these special promises, I am thy exceeding great reward, and he's going to give him this land and all these things, and people are going to bless him. He who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, right? He had two sons, but one was the only begotten, the one that was called, the one that was given by faith, the one that was the miracle. One son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Again, there's a lot of quotations in Hebrews going back to specific verses in the Old Testament to illustrate this point. So here he's quoting. He's quoting uh, Genesis 21 and verse 12, saying, this is the special one that God said, of this kid will your seed grow into a mighty nation. And you have just been told to go take him and sacrifice him. So what level of faith did Abraham had in believing God would keep his promise about making this great nation out of this kid... Accounting, that means deeming, understanding that God was able to raise Isaac up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So why was he able to go forward with that? Because he trusted the promise that God had said, this is going to be a great nation made from this kid. And so even if I'm told to sacrifice him, God's going to bring him back and make a great nation because he promised. It's his faithfulness. He had faith in God's Faithfulness, And so we know that he didn't have to sacrifice him. He had the knife poised and the angel stopped him and there was a ram caught in the thicket. But it says here, the father received that son back up from him in a figure. Right? And so here, Abraham is being a representative for God the Father and Isaac is being the begotten son who is sacrificed. And even though he wasn't literally done in a figure, when he came back up off that um, altar where he was going to be sacrificed, it was pointing to the resurrection of Christ. How God will receive him again back to life. Okay? So that's what it was pointing to. So God made him do all that so he could point to the type and shadow of the real that was to come. Okay, Living a life of faith, patiently enduring, even if you don't receive those physical promises, here and now, the real promises you will receive. That's your pattern. All right. So then it's going to quickly move on um, to several other individuals with just uh, short bursts. All right, So we've got five different examples from Abraham. Then he goes to Abraham's son. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Now, you might not be as familiar about this particular portion as, as the others we've looked at. So we're going to actually go look at that. Go back to Genesis chapter 27. All right, you remember um, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, basically, beans. Um, and then later... Um, his mother would help Jacob deceive blind Isaac at this point to receive the blessing, right? Esau sent out to go hunt, bring back some venison. Mama says, Jacob, come here, go get a goat. Well, I'll kill him and cook him. I'll take his skins and put them on you so you look like a hairy dude. Get some clothing, your brother, so you smell like him, right? We're going to trick Dad, basically, so you receive the blessing. Now, 
was this part of what God intended, exactly how it went out? I don't know if this is how God intended for it to be fulfilled, but God had told her while she was still carrying these twins in the womb that the younger was going to serve the elder. And so the promise that was given to Abraham that then went to Isaac was going to be given to Jacob one way or another. So you've got this deceit going on, and uh, Isaac smells the sun. He smells his raiment and says, See the smell of my son. This is 2727. See the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, so here's the blessing he's going to give him. Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. And let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee. Blessed be he that blesseth thee. All right, And you can see the mirror that was given directly from God to Abraham how this shows up in that same promises. Go back to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. When the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All right, so what does that have to do with Isaac's faith? That hadn't been fulfilled yet. It had been given as a promise to his father. It had been specifically told it was going to pass to him as that son of whom that seed would grow. And now he's passing it on. He is having faith that God is going to fulfill that promise in his son. Right? And it was the son that God intended. Okay, So going back to Hebrews. So by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. So he believed that those promises we're going to come. And that was how he gave this blessing of passing it forward. Of this is who is going to receive it in God's good time. 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. So what's the quick backstory there? Is that Joseph had two boys born to, born to him in Egypt, um, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he brought them unto his daddy, and his daddy put his hands on the kids' heads. Now, he actually swapped his hands, so the dominant hand was put on the younger son. And again, you've got this illustration of the younger son was going to be the leader over the older, which was contrary to the natural uh, order, but that was who God chose. But in that, he said, I'm going to adopt you too. Y'all are going to take an inheritance the same as if you were my sons. Now, the reason God did this is because Levi... Uh, one of the twelve was not going to receive any natural inheritance, right? He was going to work in the temple. He was going to be a laborer, but he wouldn't have land. All right, and so with these two sons, there's still going to be twelve tribes, and land's going to be divided up um, by twelve. But Jacob here doesn't have any land, right? He's about to die as he's a stranger in Egypt, and yet he's believing the promises of God so much that he is imparting on these two little boys, or however old they are at this point, that you're going to be heirs of that which I've given. All right, and so of his portion, it's going to be divided into 12. You two are each going to get a chunk. Okay? That's by the faith that he had. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, worshiping, leaning upon the top of his staff. All right? Fast forward, Joseph uh, you know, went from being at the top of the pinnacle of serving over Egypt. Eventually, he's going to get old and wear out. New Pharaoh comes into town, and Joseph dies. Well, before he dies, by faith, when he had died made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandments concerning his bones. Joseph was so confident in God's promise that they were going to inherit this land that he said, when God brings you out, y'all take my bones with you and bury them there in the promised land. So he is living out an act. He is having actions in his life that reflect his belief in what God has said he's going to do 
He's going to do. So by faith, he is obeying. He is acting in accordance with God's will. He is trying to serve Him. He is trying to govern his life based on what God has said. It's lived out. Okay? So that's, that's taking us all the way through Genesis. All right? Different examples through Genesis. He's going to go quickly into Exodus. You're going to have example of Moses. First of Moses' parents, then of Moses himself. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Why'd they have to hide him? Because the king said, all the boys need to die, right? I don't want you all to get strong. Uh, Israelites, they had grown in massive population. He's like, this is an internal security threat. I don't want you to rise up and fight against my enemies and defeat us, so let's kill off the males so they don't have warriors. So when Moses was born, there was a death sentence on his head, right? His parents hid him. For three months, not easy to hide a three-month-old child or younger, right? Why did they do that? Because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. How are they able to not be afraid of the king's commandment? Only by faith, right? They feared the real king, right? And then by faith, when he was come to years, so whoop, fast forward 40 years, he's full-grown man because he's been raised up in Pharaoh's household. You know, Pharaoh's daughter saved him out of the, the basket from the river, right? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have lived that life, right? He could have had everything he wanted carnally, right? The power, the prestige, the notoriety, the goodies, the best chariots, whatever. He refused to take that title, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, to be identified with them. And remember, his warning to them was, remember back in the Hebrews, Remember back to when you first believed and you suffered affliction and torment and you were willing to be companions with those suffering affliction and torment because they were following of Christ? Remember that? Keep doing that? Here is an example saying he did that too. He was willing to be associated with those who were in slavery and in bondage. Right? The people of God. They weren't having a good time at that. Right? They were building cities, your treasure cities for pharaohs as they were servants. This was not a happy day to be the chosen people. Right? This was chosen to be pounded on. That's what it felt like. But they had this promise that they were going to be delivered and brought back to this country. And so he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What's that warning to the those readers of this letter now? Is be wary. You're, you can be enticed to enjoy the pleasures of this world. Right? If you were going to abandon your faith in Christ and go back to just living like the rest of the culture, wow, that's, that's, that's a lot easier, right? There's a lot of pleasure in that, or at least it, so it seems. But it is pleasure of sin, and it's just for a season. Rather than suffering the affliction now, patiently enduring while continuing to do the will of God, that you may then later receive the real promises. Right? Esteeming the reproach of Christ. The reproach of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Referring to the, the Messiah. The scorn of being when God's people and the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now, you ever think about that? That when you're suffering for Christ's sake and you're doing the right thing and you're serving Him and you're still having it heaped upon your head, that's of greater value than all the sin here in this world, all the carnal security. That's kind of a... Our carnal self says, eh, tilt, I don't know. But it is. It is. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. He saw the real world. The real reward, the real treasure. How could he see that? By the faith that God had given him. Right? He lived it out. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he you know, killed the Egyptian who was um, smiting one of his brethren. That's a pretty strong way to say which camp you're in. Well, I'm going to kill the guy who's hurting one of my brothers. And then 
Pharaoh found out about, and he had he left. He fled. He went out and lived in the backside of the desert for 40 years. Probably felt like his life was over. He was worthless. He didn't have anything to offer. And it wasn't until he was 80 that the Lord said, All right, Bubba, it's your time. Go serve. All right. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. How do you see someone who's invisible? Only by faith. Through faith, all right, fast forward, he's been called back to Egypt and he's going to bring them out of the land at God's direction. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. All right. God said, you do this, this, and this, and this at the Passover, and you won't die. What did he do? He obeyed. Why did he do that? He had faith, right? His faith was lived out in his obedience to doing what God said. All right? And so the destroying angel didn't destroy them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. What did God say? He said, go forward! It hadn't parted at that point. All right? Go forward. And they did. They believed God, and they passed forward, and they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying, that means they attempted. They attempted. Did they make it through? Not a one of them. Every single one was destroyed. When they attempted to do so, they were drowned. All right? All right, we made it through. Exodus and all the books of the law. Fast forward to Joshua. They're going into the promised land after that generation has died off of the wilderness. First city they come to, God's brought them into this land. It's time to conquer. Time to whoop some tail. What does he tell them to do? Y'all be quiet and walk in a circle. Now do it again the next day. One more time. And again. Until the seventh day, you're like, all right, we're really going to get seven times. And on the last time around, then you can shout. I don't remember him telling them what was going to happen. <laughs> but they obeyed. They obeyed the one who told them to, and they walked around. They probably felt like idiots a little bit. I mean, I would. But God told us to do this. We're doing it. And what happened? For some reason that you cannot explain other than supernaturally, the walls of that city went boom, and they were all able to come in and destroy everybody except for one family. What was the difference between that one family and everybody else? Rahab had faith. You see that in the next verse. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven times. So they went around them for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. When she had received the spies in peace. Now, some people try and you know water down. Well, maybe she was just an innkeeper. Uh, I don't think that the Bible would describe her as a harlot if it wanted to describe her as an innkeeper. All right. But what was the difference about this individual who you wouldn't look at and say, "Man, she's got to be righteous"? What was the difference? She had faith. Go look back at Genesis. No, not Genesis. Excuse me, Joshua. Joshua chapter two, and read what she says. Joshua two. Verse 9. Now she's already hidden the spies. Then she's going to speak and you'll explain why she hid the spies. All right, remember Joshua sent two guys into the city to spy out the land and um, folks found out about it and they're looking for them and she hid them in the thatching of the roof. All right, Folks go away. She sent them on a goose chase saying, oh, they went out the, the, the city gate. All right, So this is what she said to the spies. She says, I know that the Lord, that Lord's all caps, Jehovah, I know that Jehovah hath given you the land 
and that your terror is falling upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea 40 years ago. They still heard, they remember, when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings, the Amorites, they were on the other side of Jordan, Sin and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. All right, that's the two first battles, and they just completely whooped them, killed them. Nobody left. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She had to have faith to see that. The other folks could see the consequences and know this is going to be bad. But she knew why. Because your God, He is the God. Not a God, the God. Lord, Master, He is the God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I've shown you this kindness, that you also show kindness unto my Father's house and give me a true token. And ask that her family would be spared because she had served the people of the God. And she was spared. She was able to believe that and do that because she had faith. Believing that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, crave Him. All right? So He spared them. Now, she would be wind up in the genealogy of Jesus, right? This is Boaz's mama, right? Remember Boaz who married Ruth? And then they had kid, grandkid, and then David, right? Maybe one more generation there, but I think it was like David's great great grandmother, harlot, deliverer of Jericho, right? But they didn't call her that. Um, by faith. She didn't perish with them. Right? She lived a life of faith. And that's interesting because what was she? She was a Gentile. And so even there in the Old Testament, you could see these little glimpses about how God's people were broader than just the natural Israel. Okay? Now, he's going to say, I'm about out of time. So I've got to recap. I've got I to gotta sum up. What shall I say? I'm about out of time, so I've got to sum up. All right, what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah. All right, so book of Judges. And of David and Samuel and of the prophets. rest of the Old Testament. Right, Kings, Chronicles, all the poetry. You know, he said, time would fail me to tell. I can't go through and give you examples from every single one of these folks. We could and see how they live this life of faith doing God's will, patiently enduring until they receive the promises. But let's just sum up. What were the general things that they did? Who through faith subdued kingdoms. Okay, There were kingdoms when they fought battles and won, which they shouldn't have won. Right? Not naturally, but they did, by God's grace. They wrought righteousness. They did righteous works. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouth of lions, Daniel. Quenched the violence of the fire, three Hebrew children, right? Escaped the edge of the sword. There are times when you should have been caught and killed. David, that's like a dozen times. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight. They had this massive ability to be strong and bold um, and stronger than you should have been because of the, the faith and by obeying God, right? Waxed valiant in the fight. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens, right? There were times when the, you know, just a few would have all these people running on their tails. That's what Gideon did, right? And you had the um, pots and the uh, trumpets and break it and the lights and they're like oh we're surrounded and they take off right well why did they do that because the Lord told them to do that he had faith even though there was just a small number of them women received their sons 
raised to life again. All right, there was at least three examples, or three examples I can think of where somebody was dead, and the Lord sent a prophet of body to revive them. All right, they were there was a resurrection. Right, they received their sons to dead. They were dead, raised to life again. All right, these are all positive things. Right, but not everything that we have that testifies of our faith is a positive thing. Okay? Look at the other half of this. And others. I'm going to do the negative. The things that you don't want to brag about, but they're just as important of being evidence of your faith. Live it out. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Well, if you just stop what you're doing and faithfully serving God and stop, we'll let you go. And they weren't, wouldn't. Why? Because they were seeking a better resurrection. I don't need man to deliver me from my trials because I know that there is a better resurrection. Right? That final resurrection where their bodies are changed and made perfect. Others had a trial of cruel mockings. Remember, the Hebrews are going through hard times now and it's getting, it's getting rough. Right? They had endured at the beginning and they had strength then. He's now having to challenge them. Stand fast. Stand fast. Don't forsake. He says, now look at the pattern of those who went before. They had to deal with it true. Torture, cruel mockings, scourgings. That doesn't sound pleasant. That's like getting whipped or beaten or hit. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, thrown in jail. And the jails were not near as nice then as they were now. One, you know, somebody was chunked down in a pit and he sank up like here in his mud, right? How's that for a dungeon? Like a well. It wasn't water in it, all right? They were stoned. Yeah, but a bunch of prophets, right? They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. That means to be cut in half. It's like the magic trick, but it ain't magic. They were tempted, tested. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. What's the significance of that? Only the poor people had to wear sheepskins and goatskins. You can't afford cloth. You had got a little bit of you know a flock or somebody gave me one. I take it and I stitch it together and basically make like the loincloth equivalent. You know, this was for the very, very poor. And yet they were following God, living by faith, doing God's will, patiently enduring. They were slain with a sword. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, poor, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That sound like they had a nice, happy, warm, comfortable home? No. Brought so low, they didn't have a home, and they're wandering in destitute places, living in caves. Um, hard times. How are they able to endure? Faith. They were seeking a better country. They were seeking a better deliverance. They were speaking, seeking a better reward, not the here and the now. These all, having obtained a good report, they had witness. Their faith, their life that they lived out in response to their faith was a witness that they were righteous, that they were gods. They had a good report through faith. They received not the promise. They didn't get to see the Messiah come in the flesh. They didn't get to see how it was all going to be wrapped up. Not in this life. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us 
should not be made perfect. All right? So that's the pattern they had. All these individuals in the Old Testament, they're doing the same thing that you're doing, is that you're living a life of faith and that you are following God. He's given you faith. You're believing what He said. You believe in who He is. You're following Him in spite of whether good things are coming or whether hard things are coming because you're not looking at it as a one-to-one of I'm doing this, God, so you bless me now. I'm doing this, God, because I know who you are and what you've said and what you've promised and that you will fulfill that in your own good time. Whether you bless me here or whether you bless me there, you're still right and you're still good. I'm going to get just a couple verses in 12 to tee us up for the afternoon. 12 starts with the word wherefore. That means because. That means you need everything that we've just looked at to understand 12. Alright? He gave in 10 that you need patience, that after you've done the will, you will receive the promise. The just shall live by faith. The just will live out their faith. And then he gives example after example after example after example after example of it happening in the Old Old Testament. And now he says, Wherefore... It's the application. Right? This is the example over here in 11. It's not just stop there. It comes to, all right, now you've got to bring it to you and to me. Because of all that, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. All right? He says, you need to be an imitator of those who've done this. Look at all these who've done this. They're all around you. Because you're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, that's your application, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. What is besetting? That which thwarts you. What is a weight? Not every hindrance do you have in following God and walking the walk of faith. Not every hindrance you have is a sin itself. But there are things that do not encourage and do not make that easier and do not lead you to Him, but rather you're trying to take some of that old world with you and carrying that baggage. It says to lay it down. Now there are things that you're actively engaging in sin and that's really going to trip you up. That's like tying handcuffs around your feet. Go run. You're going to nail your nose. right? Lay down every weight. Whatever that hindrance is, Whatever you're not willing to put down to serve God, to recognize that He's faithful who's promised. He's worthy of it. He's promised me greater things than anything here. Whatever I'm hanging on to that's more important than obeying Him, lay it down. And lay down the sin. It's both. And the sin, and He admits it, which so does easily beset us. It's easy to be thwarted by both of those things. Lay them down and do what? Let us run with patience, right? living the life of faith, with patience, a race that is set before us. Right? You don't get to pick the course. Right? Well, I'd like to run the Peachtree Road Race. Now that's got too many hills. I'd like to run this flat one over here that's about a 3K, and it's uh, you know in November on the 1st when it's nice and cool and there's no sweating or other people, no one to watch me. No, Bubba, you don't get to pick your course. He set the course before you. And do you know who you're going towards? Sometimes when I've heard this, I would imagine that Jesus is walking along that race and I'm, you know, I'm following his example and I'm coming behind him, right? I don't think that's the best illustration. See where he is? We're looking unto Jesus, 
the author, which word also means captain. I like that. The captain and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. He ran his race. Was it hard? You better believe it. It is a lot harder than yours. But where is he now? He's at the finish line, sitting there, watching you. So in every step down your race, what are you doing? You're getting closer to Him! That's the encouragement. It's when you turn off and look at the other things around that one, you start getting farther, but you get distracted, you get discouraged. He's there! He's sitting there, you know, interceding on your behalf. He's cheering you on. Right? Come on. Keep coming. And then you've got the pattern of knowing how he ran his race. He had a hard race. It was longer, it was harder, it was tougher than anything you've got to do. But what did he do? He, in the same, looked beyond the pain to the joy. He knew he was going to be successful. He knew that every single one of his children that the Father had given him before the foundation of the world, he was going to buy them, they were going to be his, and he wasn't going to lose a one. Right? There's not going to be, oh, he's lost in shipping. Sorry. No, he's going to get every single one. And so if he's going through this pain, he was able to see the joy on the other side of it. And when he got to that joy, what did he do? He sat down as he looked back as a high priest. He's no longer standing, continuing to serve, to take away your sins. He sat down because that job was done. And now he is waiting. Waiting for the right time until he comes back and waiting for you to get to him. Whether So if your life ends before he comes back, that's the completion of your race. You enter under his rest or he comes in the middle of your race. We're looking unto Him. But that's the pattern. He endured the cross, despising the shame. So there was physical pain, and then there was shame associated with it. This was, I mean, this is God who created all things, having His creatures mock Him, scourge Him, beat Him, and kill Him in a public, humiliating way. This is not a perfect illustration, but imagine... Uh, between a parent and, and, and a young child. If that child starts beating and abusing or killing that patient parent, that parent will be like, I created you! We know that that's not the truth, that God's the creator, but still, the idea that something that you had a hand in making is now turning on you and, and harming you and shaming you, I mean, that's, that's, that's vile, right? That's a small glimpse at the magnitude of what Christ went through. But just like us, he patiently endured through those suffering because he knew what was on the other side. The joy that he set down. And that's the joy that we're looking for. And says, so consider him. For consider him that endured such contradiction. And contradictions mean strife. Consider the one who had such strife against him from sinners. Disobedience from these sinners. He endured that contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. So you're going through hard times now. Sinners are you know, striving against you. They don't want you to follow Christ. They want you to go off on a different way. They think you're dumb. They're making fun of you. They're throwing you in jail. They're taking your stuff. He says, okay. What are you focusing on? You focusing on them? Are you looking at the example of what Christ did and how He was able to do it? And if He could endure it, mind you, be encouraged. Because if you're just focusing on yourself and your strength, well, you're going to be weary and faint in your minds. He says, but you've not yet resisted unto blood. Striving against that. It ain't even gotten that hard for you yet. Christ went all the way through it. You haven't even gotten the hard part yet. And and let's be honest. 
we're never going to get to the hardest of what Christ did. Right? All of the trials and sorrows here are going to just be counted as nothing we're on the other side, but they still can't compare. As bad as they are, they can't compare to what Christ did for you and what He took for you and what He took away from you. All right? So ye have not yet resisted unto blood against sin. All right. So we'll pause there. We'll have a baptism. We'll have lunch. And we'll come back. Thank you.